What's going on everybody? John out here with you. It is Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. How is everybody doing out there today? So this is going to be your weekly recap of the Detroit Red Wings and the Detroit Pistons. So I'm going to try to do is recap the games for you, go around the league, give you a little bit of a standing update, and if there's any kind of extraneous news between the two teams, I'll let you know about them. So the Red Wings California road trip was supposed to start with the Ducks the Kings and the Sharks, but it kind of got reversed a little bit because the Ducks game got moved to another date, but the California road trip still happened, and it wasn't really much of a success there for the Red Wings, but let's get into it. So instead of playing the Ducks on Friday night, they had to play the Kings first on Saturday night. So the Kings improved at the time to 17-13-5. and They dominated the entire play 27-2 after the first period. It was absolutely incredible the way they just dismantled the Red Wings. I mean, they absolutely dominated them all over the ice. And if it wasn't for Alex Nedeljkovic, especially after that first period when they were lucky to only be down 2-0, I feel like the Wings could have lost this game by 7 or 8 goals. They got absolutely got their barn doors blown off and got obliterated. So the Red Wings fell to 16-16-3. The huge shot advantage, it was too much for the Red Wings to overcome. Philip Dano, Drew Doughty, Trevor Moore all scored a goal, while Dustin Brown had two assists for the Kings. Detroit didn't have it at all tonight, and so Dylan Larkin tried to drop the gloves in that Saturday game to try to jumpstart his team, but there was nothing he could do. Alex Nedeljkovic, he provided as much effort as he could. And like I said, the Red Wings are very fortunate to only be down two goals after the first period. So all three teams in that California road trip, as we mentioned going into this when I last talked to you, between the Ducks, the Sharks, and the Kings. They all have a division leader. They were all around the second wildcard spot at that time. So the Red Wings had to take its rough, rough road record you know, and then turn that north because if they couldn't do that, they couldn't even be competitive in this whole road trip. So the Red Wings had three opportunities as far as I'm concerned in this road trip to try to get some wins and try to jumpstart things because they had three rookies also starting in net for all respective teams. The first one was Cal Peterson, and he was 6-5-1 and one after the win. He got a shutout, and Alex Nedeljkovic took a loss, which it was absolutely crazy because you got a rookie in net, and you're not even testing him. You can't even get in the zone. you got uh, Drew Doughty absolutely shutting you down. The entire Kings defense, you know, Philip Danel from the... Last year, Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup finalist team, I mean, he looked like one of those lockdown centermen that they were trying to get. And it looks like the Kings, even though the Red Wings have a pretty good draft talent pool as far as some of these guys from the Griffins and all on up throughout the organization, the Kings especially have another piece of that. And they looked really, really good, but the Red Wings did not. So it was one of those things, if you saw it on Bally Sports and Red Wings Live, you know, you have guys coming in and out of COVID, and that's even talking about Mickey Redmond and Chris Osgood. So you had <clears throat> Larry Murphy at the desk there. He was saying that it was pretty much the Red Wings' worst effort he'd seen all season. That was bar none, but one of the worst ones he's ever seen, period. So that's going into a back-to-back -back the next night, just like the Ducks did when they played against the New York Rangers and they lost. The Red Wings have to bounce back, and the Red and the Ducks want to bounce back too because they want to keep that lead and that a second seed in the Pacific Division. The Red Wings need to bring a much better effort, and uh, thankfully they were able to do that. But the Anaheim Ducks still beat them four to three in a shootout, you know, between Trevor Zegras and all of that. It was just too much again for all of them. Thomas Grice got the start in net. So like we said with the Ducks, they got a lot of promising young talent in the Western Conference. They're sitting second in the division. Troy Zegras. Trevor Zegers, Troy Terry led with goals and regulation, and they were strong in the extra time. Detroit, 
they had a couple of really bad news coming out of this game after it was done because Dylan Larkin left at the first period with an undisclosed upper body injury. As of right now, Wednesday, January 12th, we still don't have news on Dylan Larkin and how long he's going to be out. Tyler Bertuzzi got cut in the wrist in overtime, so he left. He wasn't available. So you're going on the overtime, and you're going into a shootout with no Dylan Larkin and no Tyler Bertuzzi. So it's any wonder why the Ducks were able to easily finish it off in the shootout. Gustav Lidstrom got hurt in the first period, but he ended up staying in the game. Despite all the stuff that I mentioned, even with all the latter adversity and getting just destroyed by the Kings the other night, the Red Wings were able to come out with a little bit more energy off of that back-to-back. And there was a few missed assignments, though, that cost the Red Wings because they could have been in this game. Grice didn't play that poorly. I know they did get some shots and stuff on him. I get he's a backup goalie, but I think Thomas Grice is still pretty good. It's just the defense core and everything else around him is not that good. And then when you got key injuries like that, especially in that game, and you're down you know, two extra forwards and you're down a defenseman at a time, it can be tough. But there is no excuse for having uh, golden opportunities for the Ducks to be able to convert because there's nobody in the slot, and there's nobody in the goal crease. I mean, that was a couple, two, three times where it happened to the Red Wings, and the Ducks pretty much scored on every opportunity. The only bright spot I take away from this is Detroit previously had a 0-for-17 power play drought snap with a special teams goal, but the biggest point and takeaway for the Red Wings, besides getting a point, uh, was four points from their defensemen, which you didn't get a lot of that stuff there for the Wings. I mean, the defensemen really aren't doing too much unless you're most Sider. <laughs> you're pretty much dominating, and you could be winning a Calder. But everybody else kind of needs to pick up the slack. And it was nice to see that the Red Wings were able to get some production from their back line. Uh, Giovanni Smith was up to his usual self with 17 penalty minutes from fighting with Nicholas Delorier. He had a misconduct, a fighting, and an instigating penalty. Tyler Bertuzzi, before the injury, had a goal and an assist. Philip Peronic also got a goal. Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond had an assist. And they're, again, impressive rookie campaign for the Red Wings in Hunt for Calder. Trevor Zegers added a goal and an assist to pace the Ducks. Troy Terry was currently sitting fourth in the NHL in scoring. He had 21 after the game. Richard Reichel had two assists. Cam Fowler, Ryan Getzlov, and Sonny Milano also added an assist for Anaheim. So another opportunity, as I mentioned, the rookie in net, Lucas Dahlstall, made his NHL debut. He recorded the win. Thomas Grice took the loss. So the Red Wings were off for a couple days. They played Tuesday against the Sharks. A lot of you probably didn't get a chance to see this game because it's either on ESPN Plus or Hulu. And I do have some things to mention after this game recap. So, it goes like this. Pretty much one team had its captain and one team did not. Dylan Larkin, no word yet. Logan Couture, though, came back from COVID-19 protocol and helped the San Jose Sharks. Now 20-16-1 after the game. Edged the Red Wings 16-16-5, 3-2 in overtime. Alex Nedeljkovic was an absolute wall in this game. There, there's no question. Nedeljkovic gave them a point which they had no business getting. But the unrelenting pressure from the Sharks proved to be too much because Brent Burns late in the overtime sent a puck that went right through the goal mouth. You saw Nadelkovic try to dive, grab it before it crossed the red line, but he couldn't corral the rebound. It pretty much found Logan Couture's stick and wide open. All he had to do was tap it in and the game was over. What was interesting, there was a bit of controversy between that goal and the goal in the third period. So let's go to the one in the third period first. So Jeffrey Veal for the Sharks, he made an incredible move around Mosider and the Red Wings defense. 
And he was kind of dragging and then skating in. As, as he was skating in, he kind of collided with Alex Adelkovich. There was a question of whether or not there would be goaltender interference, and there was a question whether or not that Jeff Blaschel should be the one to call on it, because at the time, if the goal would stand, the game was tied. But if you also miss, then you're taking a penalty. So Blaschel decided not to challenge it, and the game was tied at the time. And then as we went on to go forward, the Sharks absolutely again obliterated the Wings, just like the Kings did, although not to the same extent, but the Wings couldn't stop the Sharks' attack because it was 40-19 final with shots on goal. And that's not going to win any games. And again, as we said, after all these games in the California road stand, the Red Wings are now 4-11-3 on the road, and that's not going to get the job done. So Detroit didn't have its captain on the ice, but injured from Sunday's game, Tyler Bertuzzi did make his return on Tuesday. He had yet another goal and yet another assist. So now he's got the Red Wings goal lead after injuring his wrist Sunday night against the Ducks, as we said. Biggest point of the season. <laughs> Salute Nick Letty on his first goal of the season. My, my God. Look, we were talking about it just in the Ducks game that the Red Wings did get some production from their D-man, but... Nick Letty with his first? I mean, yes, I'm happy to see that Nick Letty got a goal, but you would think, okay, look, I know you don't get a ton of goals from defense, but maybe four or five. Hopefully this is a way to jumpstart Nick Letty because even at worst, I think about any NHL team, he would easily fit on a second line anywhere. And the only reason why you can't put him on the first line with most ciders is because the Red Wings don't have enough depth to be able to do that because their other two lines are going to be screwed. So he's got to sit on the second line and either babysit Osterley or any of the other ones that you want to throw in there. So he got his first goal. Philip Aronik had two assists and Mo Sider had another assist for the Red Wings. Timo Meyer and Jeffrey Veal had a goal. Brent Burns had three assists and Jonathan Dahlin also grabbed two more for the Sharks. Aiden Hill got his revenge from last Thursday. He only had to make 17 saves to get the win. Alex Nadelkovic made 37 saves and took a tough luck loss. Because, uh, you know, honestly, again, the Wings didn't play that well. Obviously, they didn't play as bad as the Kings game where they were just absolutely pathetic. But the Sharks kicked their butt. It's pretty much plain and simple. They were badly outshot, but it was worth noting again that Alex Nadelkovic was outstanding to keep his team in it. And Detroit ends up going 0-1-2 on the road stand between the Kings, the Ducks, and the Sharks. So, Detroit is going to head back to Little Caesars Arena, and thank God that California road trip's over. They're going to take on the Winnipeg Jets on Thursday at 7.30, so I'll have the game for you tomorrow and get the uh, game story after it's done. And hopefully the Red Wings can play a little bit better, but let's get into it here. So the upcoming schedule for the Red Wings, as we said, I'll have the game for you tomorrow with the Winnipeg Jets. Saturday they play Buffalo at home, and then they have a home-home because Buffalo on the road on Monday. So Winnipeg, Buffalo, Buffalo in your next three games. And Buffalo's not a very good hockey team right now. So where are the Wings at in the standings? They are third. They are behind in the second wild card because Boston is at 32 games played. The Red Wings are at 37 games played. So that's a whopping five games in hand. And Boston has 40 points. And Pittsburgh has 47 points. So obviously Detroit's not going to catch Pittsburgh unless they catch lightning in a bottle. Right now, the Bruins are holding a 3-0 lead in the second period over the Montreal Canadiens, now one of the worst teams in the league. So Boston's going to have 33 games played by the end of the night and 42 points, and the Red Wings are going to be at 37 and 30, 37. 
So the Red Wings are fading fast, and they need to be able to get some wins if they want to get into this wild card. As far as the Winnipeg Jets, they are at 33 games played and 37 points. So it's the same as the Wings, except they got four games in hand on the side. And as far as the Jets go, they are four points out of the wild card spot. So from the California road trip, let's get into this, as I've said. As we talked about from the beginning, we had, and I mentioned that the Ducks, the Kings, and the Sharks are all borderline playoff teams, although I would consider them all playoff teams. After this result right now, in these three games, you have the Ducks at 39 games played with 45 points, sitting second in the Pacific, and the Kings now are right behind them. 36 games played, 41 points. So they have a chance with their games in hand to get ahead of the Ducks. And the San Jose Sharks, 37 games played, 41 points, are sitting second in the wild card in the Western Conference. So the Red Wings did play three playoff teams indeed, and they went 0-1-2. So they salvaged two points of a possible six, but honestly, I mean, they could, you could argue that the Red Wings shouldn't have gotten anything. And if it wasn't for Alex Nedeljkovic in a couple of those games, they wouldn't have, they would not have at all. So here's some news that I want to share with you, and then we're going to talk about some of the other things here. So that Tuesday game that was on ESPN Plus and Hulu, or however you want to mention it, you had Leah Hextall. So I imagine that's Ron Hextall's daughter. <laughs> and I don't know who else was doing the uh, color commentary with Leah, but it was absolutely horrific. And I'm not going to sit here and say Leah did a horrible job because I understand some people will say, oh, I don't want girls to do the commentary. She's re She really wasn't that bad. But it was one of those things where, and it really pissed me off. I don't know if you guys end up hearing about it. Facebook.com slash TVU Gunslinger Twitter at John Ryanot. When they're doing the play-by-play -play throughout the game, because, you know, I'm typing some of the stuff and I'm looking because i got the TV right on the side. And I see it and I'm hearing this feedback of someone talking in the, in the color commentary guy's ear. So I'm hearing feedback while they're also trying to call the game. And look, I know they might be doing some stuff on site sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if... Leah and the team were in San Jose. I know not everyone was as part of the ESPN crew, but it's really horrible when you're also hearing feedback when you're trying to watch the game. And then also at the same time, when you're doing your instant replays or you don't even show shots on goal, you don't even have any kind of stat tracking on ESPN's side. But when you're showing the replays and you're constantly fast-forwarding and rewinding and rewinding and fast-forwarding the whole time, and there isn't any way for the users that are watching the game to be able to see the replays or see any of the things that they miss and the commentary and everything else isn't syncing up and you're hearing feedback, that's really, really poor, especially for the ones that are paying the extra money for ESPN Plus or they're paying the extra money for Hulu, and then you're getting a broadcast that is... Uh, <sighs> let's say maybe high school college level because I think I don't want to be disrespectful here but when I'm watching games on Big Ten Network with the Michigan Wolverines doing hockey or basketball or Spartans on basketball I mean it's a really good production as far as Big Ten but even some high school stuff is better than the stuff that they're giving on ESPN and I should know because I used to cover some of that stuff there at the Oakland Press it's really, really bad, and they need to do a much better job. And I look, I don't know if it's one of those things where ESPN, and I don't want to sit here and call it all concentration camp or slave labor or things like that, but I think it was well documented from some of the stuff 
there in Connecticut that they don't pay as well as some of the other networks do. And look, that's fine if you want to try to make everybody else work to get their come up and do all of that. But if you're going to try to bring a new league in, if you're taking the NHL from the outdoor land network before it was turned into Versus and then NBC Sports Network, and you're saying from the outdoor land network, and at the time where ESPN or NHL was sitting on with Gary Bettman, and they're doing a better job than ESPN is doing for hockey, there needs to be a full frontal examination of why in the F these games are even on ESPN+. You need to bring in much, much better people. And I don't know if it's one of those ones where, look, I'm not sitting here saying I could do a great job. It would be hard to sit there and call four lines learning how far you are. And I have to have a lot of practice in doing that. I'm much better at basketball when there's a lot less people and a lot less things. There's not all these line changes and things like that. I get it, but there's got to be a hell of a lot better representation of the NHL. Or, again, as we talk about it, the NHL is going to sit on the lowest totem pole between the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball that's currently in a lockout, and then the NHL. Because that's just an absolute disaster there that's going on in ESPN. And I'm not going to sit there and blame all of Leah Hextall, but I'm definitely going to sit there and blame the rest of the crew, some of the feedback noise and the stupid things, not being able to run the replays. That's absolutely a cluster over there, and they need to get that fixed. So, one last thing I want to close out here with the Red Wings. A couple things here. So I'm not going to steal all of the stuff here from Anzar Khan in MLive, but he had mentioned today, as I talked about, and I can link this article here for you. Again, we think about it from where the Red Wings are at. They're sitting third. They're probably not making the playoffs this year. 37 games, 37 points. And he flat out asked Steve Eisman if they're going to make a move in the March 21 trade deadline for the NHL. He said, regardless, I don't see us being really aggressive at the trade deadline. In free agency, I'll take the time and see if there's an approach, if there's a player that can help us and, you know, spend a few years and be a contributor in a few years. We'll try to be, you know, aggressive and spend our money when we think it's appropriate, but we're not going to sit here and get away from our plan. That's pretty much what Eisman was saying. So it's going to be patient with long-term, patient short-term contracts, maybe an occasional long-term, just in case, you know, because Tyler Bertuzzi's playing out of his mind right now. That two-year deal might turn into something longer if he continues to do all that same stuff. So the Red Wings are going to try to stand pat toward the trade deadline, which I think makes a lot of sense because a lot of us knew going into it that this really wasn't their time in terms of getting everything else done. You're looking at next year, as I well document, looking at next year thinking this team is going to make a hell of a jump, and I think that they will do that. After the Tuesday game, we got some news that Steve Eisman hired another former captain in Red Wings legend Nicholas Lidstrom to be the vice president of hockey operations. So, you know, I got cerebral palsy. I can't necessarily do a, a backflip, but I'm, I'm doing the mental gymnastics and doing backflips in my head and saying, thank you, Steve. <laughs> Let me kiss your shoes, please. He brought, he brought Nick Lidstrom in there. Look, he already got Chris Draper as far as a uh, part of player personnel. You got Pat Verbeek in there. You have a lot of Red Wings legends coming in there. I mean, you, got, you look at all the Red Wings legends coming in there, and Ken Holland's got to be doing what one of these, you know. I mean, it's a lot different. It's Stevie's team now. There's a couple only holdovers there from uh, Ken, and I promise as the years go forward I will mention him less and less. But Steve is doing an absolutely excellent job. You can look and talk about what you think in terms of the road trip and saying the Red Wings got their teeth punched in. Look, I get it. They're playing three playoff teams that are much better than them. It's a, it's a definite process because when Steve took over a few years ago here, 
The cupboard was more than bare. I mean, it was like Dust Bowl all over the place from the 40s and 30s and crap. It was horrible. The Red Wings needed a complete and utter rebuild, and Steve has taken his time in doing that. As we've mentioned many, many, many times before, when you're thinking about the Tampa Bay Lightning and what they are, Steve was building all that. Now they're trying to go for back-to-back-to-back Stanley Cups. You know how freaking hard that is to do, and Steve is a huge instrumental piece for that, and he's doing a lot of that same stuff here, and he's trying to do a lot of that same stuff here. I'm just thinking, you bring a Nick Lidstrom in, Get a little bit of tutelage there for Mort Sider, who's already probably, what, your third best player on your team? Because if you want to talk about it realistically, we can do this here. Between Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi, Alex Nedeljkovic and Mort Sider are battling right there for third. I think Mort Sider is, is easily third best player on the team already. The guy's 20 years old. So, he's doing a really good job. And if you already had any questions as far as where Alex Nedeljkovic would stand, and if that trade you know, made sense and what they were going to do. You know, between him and you got Sebastian Kosa coming up, I mean, the Red Wings goalie situation looks really, really good. That Nedeljkovic uh, trade seemed to be a pretty much slam dunk. And it was one of those things last night, too, in the Sharks game, when I'm hearing some of the stuff from the play-by-play, and they're saying, well, Alex Nedeljkovic is really disorienting in the way that he plays goalie, and he kind of can get beat in certain ways and do this and that. I'm thinking, where? I mean, this guy's standing on his head playing like crazy. And it seems like all the triggers that Eisman's pulling right now seem to be making the most sense, just like it did in Tampa, just like he's always been. He's always very shrewd, and he's always very smart to be able to get some other teams and GMs to be able to do the things that he wants to do to get the best out of the deal. And Steve knows Steve knows more than anyone, more than anyone else can ever forget about hockey, and he's doing a great job. And look, it's going to take time for the Red Wings to be able to see, you know, what they can possibly be. But I'm looking, you know, within next year for this team to compete for a playoff spot. I think they will be in the playoffs next year. But it's one of those things, too, where maybe 2024, 2025, you're thinking this team might actually win a couple playoff series and, you know, do something. They're, they're, they're going to be winning a cup not too long. I think by the end of this decade, I think the Red Wings might be Stanley Cup champions. Or they're at least going to be in contention for it for a long, long time. Because at the end of the day, that's Steve's goal. It's, it's not to be good for one or two years. It's to be good for a decade or more. And uh, continue that dominance. I think he's going to be able to do that. Bringing in Nick, again, is making everyone else do mental gymnastics and do backflips. Uh, it's a great, great move for the Red Wings, and I see nothing but good things in their future. So that's the positivity on the Red Wings here. So let's talk about it as far as the Pistons go. So the Pistons, it depends on the way that you want to look at it, because honestly, within their last few games, they've not been playing that bad, but they've had a couple of absolute annihilations at the hands of some of the teams here. So it started on a Thursday night on January 6th, as I talked about after that game. From previous, they're going to get killed by the Grizzlies after they got killed by Charlotte. And they did. They got destroyed 118-88. to They fell to 7-30 and at the time. And Memphis, who was absolutely red hot, is 26-14. and So deja vu once again for the Pistons, a lackluster first quarter that did them in. They were facing a 32-18 deficit after the first quarter, and the front court just absolutely killed the Pistons. They had 61 rebounds to the Pistons' 39. So Saban Lee had 14 points. Isaiah Stewart returned on the 6th. 
from the COVID-19 protocol, he had 6.8 rebounds and two blocks. And it was one of those things where, okay, he didn't play that well, but he's just coming off of the protocol and the Pistons really need bodies and they just don't have a lot of that of late. So it was good to see him on the floor. John Morant, 22 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, the pace to Grizzlies. Dylan Brooks added 18. Tyus Jones and Zaire Williams had 14. Memphis had won 7 straight. So in that game from the Grizzlies, you can say that Detroit had lost more than by more than 20 for the 8th time this season, and that's going to continue to climb. But they went to play the Orlando Magic a couple nights later on a Saturday night on the 8th. And it was hard to find a team, to all honesty, that the Pistons could have success with. But the Detroit Pistons are doing really well against the Orlando Magic. They're now 2-0 this season against the Magic. They improved to 8-30. The Magic fell to 7-33. And I mentioned many, many times, how did the Magic have a worse record than the Pistons? But they do. The Pistons were able to grab a 97-92 victory. Hamadou Diallo, 17 points, 6 rebounds. Sadiq Bey, 16.6 rebounds. Cade Cunningham added 12. It was the Pistons' second victory over the Magic. It was a welcome change because the Pistons had a lead after the first quarter, something that they did not have against the Hornets and the Grizzlies, respectively, when they lost by more than a combined 20 or more points. Uh, former Michigan State standout Gary Harris, I thought, played a really good game for the Magic. 28 points, 8 of 17 shooting. Cole Anthony, 19 points, 8 rebounds, 6 assists for Orlando. So, it was good to see the Pistons win. And it was interesting, after the Monday night on the 10th, how will the Pistons play against the Utah Jazz? Because if it was one of those ones, if I made the YouTube video, I was talking to you before that, I said, well, they're going to get killed by the Jazz, aren't they? Yeah, they're going to get killed by the Jazz, aren't they? No, they won. And they won in dramatic fashion. The Pistons overcame a 22-point deficit and scored 78 points in the second half to get their biggest win of the year, 126-116 against the Jazz, who fell to 28-13, and and the Pistons improved to 9-30. So Sadiq Bey went off, 10-14 shooting, 29 points, 6 rebounds. Cade Cunningham finished with a career-high 29 points. He looked every bit as good as the first pick that he is. 5 of 9 from 3-point range, 8 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks, key block at the end of the game for Cade to be able to secure the win for the Pistons. Corey Joseph played very, very well off the bench, 16 points, 4 assists, and 2 steals. So Detroit was absolutely on fire from deep, 19 of 37, they had 30 assists. They played very freaking well, very, very well. Donovan Mitchell, 31 points, 4 assists, 2 steals. Hassan Whiteside, double-double, 21 points, 14 rebounds. Jordan Clarkson, 16 points and 5 rebounds for the Jazz. So it was one of those things where you had Dwayne Casey in COVID protocol and you had the Pistons assistant coach come in. Rex came in and did, he did a good job. He played pretty much whoever was available for him. And there's been some questions. And we can talk about some of that stuff going forward. Facebook.com slash Gunsinger, Twitter at John Ryanot. As always, let me know what you think. But there were some questions of whether or not Rex should be getting a little more burn over Dwayne Casey. Because it seems to be that when he plays, when he coaches, the Pistons win some games. And that's one of those things where, okay, you can throw it as the Pistons had a great night and were able to overturn it and shoot well from three. But it's also, you see the results that are on the screen, and you'd think that maybe he can get some more time. And look, it's one of those things, too, where Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver, and Troy Weaver has said this, the Pistons GM, that Dwayne is doing a good job as far as building the Pistons, uh, 
player development, trying to get them better for next year, and then trying to play the right way and do all those things. But at the same time, we all know the Pistons are going to be a lottery team, but also at the same time you want to see results at the end of all of it, and the results speak for themselves. So Pistons fans are getting a little restless when they see Dwayne Casey playing some of these same guys all the time and getting the doors blown off when you see another coach in and they're doing different things and trying to rally around. And that body language in that Jazz game, when I got a chance to watch all that Jazz game, looked really, really good. Even though you had Isaiah Livers and some of those other guys on the sideline, you had Hamadou Diallo on the bench only because the rest of the guys were playing well. That second unit was driving stuff and getting things done, especially at the end of the game, and Cade was playing like a freaking superstar. But these guys were falling all over themselves with excitement, and it was really, really good to see. But it's one of those things that people talk about, whether you see message boards or things online. People are getting sick of this stuff going on here, and they want to see some results. And when you see a different coach out there getting some wins, and uh, one that you have is not, people want to look for pikes on a head there. You know, it's just, but it is what it is. So, Pistons, quietly, Sunday, they traded for Bull Bull in exchange for Rodney Magruder and a second-round pick from the Denver Nuggets. So, the 7-2 Bull is going to get roughly half a season to showcase what he can do for the Pistons, who really, really, as I've documented, need size in the front court. Because, besides Kelly Olynyk, who's been injured for a long, long time now, the Pistons have a mesh of guys that are about 6'7", 6'8". So they really could use that size in the front court, and they really could use some work there to try to get things fixed and get things better there. So the Pistons right now, from what I have heard, I don't know if you have any other news on that. If you do, please let me know. The Pistons used this second-round pick in this year. So it's going to be a 2022 draft without a second-round pick there for the Pistons. And look, I don't think that's going to be of huge concern. What I do think is going to be a concern <clears throat> is if you go into the next couple games here and you still don't see Bull Bull on the floor. Because I don't care if he's only averaging, I'm going to just be blunt and honest about this, I don't care if he's only going in and averaging six points and four rebounds and things like that. He's on the Denver Nuggets. He's pretty much sitting on the back end, not getting time, because Nikola Jokic, out of the 48 minutes, let's say he's probably playing 42, 43 minutes a night. That guy's getting burned on both ends because he's an absolute freaking beast. And Nuggets right now aren't doing that great. And they need to use Nikola Jokic every single minute they can in order to get wins. And maybe you look at Michael Porter Jr. and things like that, and you say, God, he's 6'10", so he could probably fit in that power forward spot some, for some times. So maybe Bull Bull is a little bit expendable. When you're the Pistons and you take Ronnie Magruder, who's been a consummate professional, even though a lot of you guys will say bench warmer or things like that, but he's in the NBA for a reason, and you're taking a second-round pick and you're flipping that for Bull Bull, that's a win there for Troy Weaver, but it's only a win if the guy freaking plays. you got to get him suited up and playing, because I think at every aspect at this point, as I've said, you have roughly half a season. You need to be able to showcase what this guy can do. If you're not going to want to sit there and showcase him, you're thinking, oh, if he does well, we've got to pay him more. Well, then that's the poorest attitude that you can take. Take roughly half the year, figure it out, let him get his legs underneath him, let him get his minutes, let him get his burn, let him get his starter's minutes. Let Dwayne Casey not absolutely kill the guy, he can't play him 40 minutes every night, but he needs to be a big part of this rotation. I understand Trey Lyles and things like that are able to play a couple good games against the Magic and things like that. I, I get it. He's able to hit some threes and be a little bit versatile, but from some of the things that Bull Bull can do, he can do the same thing. 
So give him every opportunity to do everything he can in the front court. Because quite honestly, to me, look, the Pistons aren't going anywhere. They're already going to be a lottery team bar none. But if you look and see what you can get, and you can get him signed, and all you really gave him was a second-round pick, and you get something good, and you can move Isaiah Stewart to the power forward spot and put a seven-foot-two bull bull in there that can shoot some threes, grab some rebounds, and pretty much dribble the basketball and do a little bit of everything... That's a really good steal there for the Pistons, but the only way you're going to figure out whether or not it's a steal is if the guy freaking plays. So they got to get him suited up and played and figure it out because he could really, really make an impact on this team. Not only because this team's not going anywhere, but they don't have anyone else in the front court that has any size to be able to play defense and do the things they need to do. So this is the perfect opportunity this year to showcase him, and all he had to give up was a second-round pick. So they need to get that figured out. So the last game for you was last night. It was also, you know, the Bulls and then the Red Wings after that. So the Bulls, 27-11 and 11 now. The Red, the Pistons fall to 9-31. and 31. They got killed, 133-87 to 87 on Tuesday night. The Bulls used a 17-0 run in the second half, and they cruise to the finish. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, 22 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals. He was all over the stat sheet. Look, DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, Vucevic, the additions that the Chicago Bulls added in, right, I thought at least, because right now it's the top six seeds, and seven, eight, nine, ten will be fighting it out for, you know, plans and things like that. The way that this is set up within the last couple of years, but I thought maybe, okay, the Chicago Bulls five or six seed, they're definitely going to be out of the play-in spot. They're definitely enough to just not have to be in there and be a, a, a solid playoff team. But first in the East, going through the Bulls. I didn't know about all of that, but this team looks absolutely great. DeMar DeRozan, 20 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. Lonzo Ball, 18 points, 6-9 shooting. He's uh, really, really improved from the three-point shooting from the Pelicans and the Lakers and things like that. Uh, six rebounds, five assists, and three steals to go with the 18 points for Lonzo Ball. It was the Bulls' 10th consecutive victory over the Pistons, and eight players on the Bulls scored double-digit points. They absolutely killed the Pistons. Pistons' leader was Josh Jackson, 16 points. Sadiq Bey had a miserable shooting night, 2 of 10 from three-point range. He finished with 11 points. Isaiah Stewart also had 11 points and 7 rebounds for Detroit. It was a 46-point defeat, the fourth-largest in Pistons' history, and again, a miserable shooting night for the team as they finished 6 for 35 from distance. They got killed in the second half. They competed up the back-to-back, especially in the first half. I will give them that. But the Bulls scored 36 in the third and the fourth, while the Pistons only managed 14-21 and to lose 133-87. to So, again, as we've talked about, that Bull-Bull trade is going to you know, make a lot of sense for the Pistons going forward. I thought Cade Cunningham, especially the game before that, he didn't didn't play well against the Bulls, but no, nobody did. So I can give them all a pass for that. Everybody played like garbage. But Cade Cunningham looked like a star in that Jazz game. And you, you can see, as I've said, going forward every single game, you can kind of see improvements there from Cade to see what he can be. And I, I really want to know going into next year, as we've talked about, between the Pistons, whether they get the first, second, or third pick, whether the lottery balls drop their way or not again like they did last year. Pistons could really improve, but it really just remains to be seen that if Cade can get some help, this Pistons team can be a lot better because there's just not a lot of pieces there. Again, as I've mentioned, whether you want to talk about Steak Bay, Killian Hayes, or Isaiah Stewart, you don't know. You just don't know right now. 
So with Bull Bull, hopefully, again, I, I keep bringing this up because I want to see this guy play and see what he can do. You could get some shooting, you can get some inside baskets and just give Cade a little bit of a security blanket and see where things are going forward. And hopefully you can get a little bit of a rookie showcase there from Cade, but it's clear that he's really, really good. But this Pistons team needs a lot of help. And to me, they need, again, eight or nine other starters. <laughs> Eight or nine other players, you know, to go with those five starters on the floor. I mean, it's not good. And the Pistons are going to host Toronto Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. So Toronto has been playing better of late, but it's one of those things where it'll be Scotty Barnes versus Cade Cunningham, and probably Pascal Siakam can obliterate anyone else in the Pistons' front court, whether or not you think how good he is. But Scotty Barnes is already really, really good as a rookie. Uh, Pistons need a lot of help. It's one of those things where, again, talk about with the trade that they made, figure out going forward. I'm interested to see what this team does at the trade deadline because the rumors are swirling all over the place, and I can't give you anything decisive because there really isn't anything decisive. You got Jeremy Grant going to the 76ers. You got him going back to the Nuggets. You got him going to the Bulls. You got him going to the Hawks. Everybody wants this guy's services. So when he can get his feet back underneath him and play, especially from the wrist injury and all of that, maybe that'll be the time where Grant can showcase everything before the trade deadline and see what the Pistons could get. I argue maybe they could get something better last year. But still, you get that trade in there, you kind of figure out that maybe Jeremy Grant and maybe Cade Cunningham from the time that you saw him, you know, was brief because of the injury and things like that. They both really need the ball. So whether or not those two are going to fit and play together remains to be seen. But if the Pistons can get something good, if they can do pretty well, you know, they get the first, second, or third pick, they can get some other things going into next year. This could be a team that could rebuild. But again, I think looking at it from the last few games, from what I saw, the Pistons have been playing much better in the last few games. They've gotten some wins here. I know they got killed by the Grizzlies, and they got killed by the Bulls, but they're already 0-3 against the Bulls, and the Bulls are running roughshod over everybody. But Killian Hayes, I will say this to you, from what I've seen from him now, because I've been waiting for improvement and things like that, who knows if Killian Hayes is going to turn into an offensive superstar or whether he would just be stable in the offense. But I do believe that Killian Hayes is already a really, really good defender. There was points in that Jazz game where he pretty much played toe-to-toe -to -toe there with Donovan Mitchell and got stops. And he played well. He didn't bite on pump fakes. He was there. He was on his feet. He kept his hands up. He was able to make some good plays. Killian Hayes could be a really good defender there for the Pistons. And then they kind of they might have figured that one out. I'm going to say that early. I'm going to try to give him a little bit of a vote of confidence. But you know what? For the Pistons, they are playing better of late. Although they got the doors blown off a couple of times, it was good to see them get a couple of big wins. And hopefully they can continue some of that stuff going forward. Because let's face it, they're not going to fall out of that lottery spot. But you do want to see some you know, signs of some peak brightness there from your TV and your nits and your sun and things like that. You want to see some things and some glimmers of hope. And I think there is some stuff for the Pistons. But there is a lot of work still to be done. But what do you think? Facebook.com slash Gunsinger, Twitter, at John Maynard. This has been your Detroit Red Wings and Detroit Pistons weekly recap show. So I'm glad to bring this to you. We're going to try to do this again next week. And as always, I will give you those Red Wings and Pistons games. All this stuff has been getting updated. I've been doing a lot of work on the WordPress website at hopelesssportsguy.com. 
www.wordpress.com. You can catch all that stuff. We covered the national championship game between Georgia and Alabama. That was a really, really good one as well. So there's going to be a lot of stuff. I'm going to try to go as hard as I can within at least these first couple of months here to get as much content as I can and then hopefully kind of branch out a little bit, you know, get the Discord going a little bit, actually get some people in there only, you know, besides myself viewing. So it's going to take a little bit of time, but I think if I keep building content and trying to find some things and hopefully pique some interest here and there, things will be okay. But we will talk to you guys next week, and I will get some of these game stories going forward. So check the blog, check some of the stuff on social media. I'm around if you guys ever want to get a hold of me, if you have any questions, any ideas, if you want to collaborate, if you want to just talk about stuff or BS, I'll always be here. Peace out, guys. Have a good one. I appreciate it, and we will talk to you soon.